0: I remember telling people, hey, I'm quitting my job at number two Wall Street, and here's my idea. See, I'm going to write a book. And people were like, oh, hey, that sounds promising. I mean, it's like, what? Man, it was just the right thing at the right time. It got a lot of attention. People started calling me and saying, could you come give a speech to our leadership team? And I mean, I was a kid. I was like, well, are you sure? You know, if only you knew what the young people were whispering about over lunch. Well, he his eyes got so wide and he said, I'm going to take you out. You tell me what the young people are whispering about over lunch. And I thought, hmm, if one grown up is interested, maybe lots of grown ups would be interested. So then I said, "Okay, I'm going to start interviewing people. That's what I'll do. So there are broad trends in attitude and behavior that do evolve over time. You know, everyone starts out young and gets older, right? So, uh, I mean, God willing, right? Everyone uh, uh, goes through these natural developmental stages, but what generational difference is about the accidents of history that are happening when you're going through those developmental stages. So one of the things I like to explain to older people and younger people is that that's what's going on here. Young people are not a bunch of disloyal upstarts. Uh, the, the, the the grown-ups are not you know trying to hold you back. You know, uh, shut up and do as you're told, kid. You know, if I nobody held my hand. You know, and 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 so when I'm able to see the light bulb you know and the, and the eyes widen and they
1: go oh and today's guest is Bruce Togan internationally recognized as a leading expert on the best practices of effective management, generational change and young people in the workplace. He's a best-selling author and sought-after keynote speaker and advisor to business leaders all over the world. Hi, Bruce. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, wh- wh- where are you calling from today?
0: Oh, yeah. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Uh, I'm, I'm sitting right in my uh, office about uh, in Whitneyville, Connecticut, uh, most people know New Haven. That's the home of Yale University. And we live, uh, uh, and work, uh, two miles north of the, the, the Yale University library. So my home is in one place and next door, uh, is the office. So we have two 1920s era uh, houses side by side. And that's, that's, that's our setup. So I'm right with about two years ago, we decided to put in a TV studio. So I'm sitting right here.
1: Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. That sounds great. You
0: know, because c- of the pandemic.
1: Yes. Yeah. 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 That's a bit of the world I've, I've never been to. So yeah, it sounds great. Now to start off with, can you tell me something that you're both good at and just love doing something that drips out of you, a passion?
0: I mean, I guess, uh, one of the things, uh, that some people know about me, uh, that I love to do is karate. Uh, uh, in, in Okinawa, they say karate. Uh, it's, uh, it's a, a fighting art. Uh, I've done that since I was seven years old. Um, and in the office, right? So, uh, in, in one of the, the houses, um, in addition to my office and, uh, some, some bedrooms, there's a dojo. And get this, not only that, but uh, so I've been practicing karate since I was seven years old. I'm 55 on Monday. Wow. Uh, and and my teacher, since I was seven years old, lives here in the office dojo in the house next door. He's the karate master next door. Uh, and uh, um, so uh, karate is a passion of mine. Uh, it's a lifelong pursuit. Uh, I've been doing it uh, for 48, uh, well, 48 years. Yeah.
1: So well, that, that's that's amazing. Oh thank you for sharing that. And have you ever been to Okinawa or is that just where it's originally from the the, the practice?
0: I have. So uh, growing up, we had Okinawans come to my hometown all the time. Uh, and my teacher went to Okinawa thirty different times. and so he knows the Okinawans well. Uh, uh, I finally made my first visit in two thousand and eleven. Uh, my teacher and one of my close personal friends, who's also a client and an awesome karate uh, practitioner, uh, we all went for uh, three and a half weeks in 2011. Uh, and then my buddy uh, and I, and one of my students went back in 2015. And actually in 2015, my teacher's teacher Uh, tested me for the master rank in our style. Uh, In our style, when you get to Rokudan, uh, it's also Renshi master. And so technically, I'm a master, believe it or not. And, um, and, And so that was seven years ago. So I'd like to go back to Okinawa and test for Seventh Dan, Kyoshi, which we also call Nanadan.
1: Wow. Well, no, I guess I, I had a brief trip to to those southern Japanese islands in Okinawa, and yeah, I was totally enchanted. So I, so I wanted to I just wondered if you'd been, because it yeah, it is an amazing place and way of life. Yeah. So thank you. I've
0: spent a total of like six weeks there only, but you know, the Ruyu Kingdom has uh was annexed by Japan in 1879, I'm sure you know, but that's actually Uh, where a lot of our karate history comes from. And uh, because it's the nexus between Japanese culture and Chinese culture. Um, And uh, so all karate comes from Okinawa.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Now, you started out life on Wall Street as a lawyer, I believe, and in a more mainstream um, practice there. And then at some point you've moved out of that and set up uh, your organization Rainmaker Thinking. You've written lots of books, and you've become a worldwide expert on.
0: Yeah, but 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 but, Ian, I was only a lawyer for 428 days.
1: Oh, right. Wow. So yeah, sorry, I didn't realize that was okay.
0: I mean, technically, I'm still a lawyer. You know, I'm still admitted to the bar in a few states and stuff. But uh, but but, I only practiced at Number Two Wall Street for 428 days, and then. Um, at, at 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 the tender young age of uh, of twenty seven, I retired for the first time. You know.
1: Wow. <laughs> and and may I ask what inspired that either the, the shift into law originally, and then the shift out of it, uh, and then you know the the continued inspiration in this amazing company that you've set up and focusing on. Um. You know younger people how to manage them lots of different aspects could you tell us some of your inspirations along that that journey
0: yeah i mean i went to law school because uh my parents were the sort where you know i had to go somewhere i i could get a phd uh i could get an mba i could get a law degree i could go to medical school but um uh, uh my father and my grandfather on one side were, were doctors and professors and on the other side uh uh, my grandfather was a lawyer, my my grandmothers and my mother w- were teachers. So I could have been a teacher, you know, but my parents, you know, they had to get an, uh, uh, an advanced degree. So I figured, you know, law school was only three years. And then I thought I better work for a few, you know, for a little while, at least. So I had some sense of what it looked like to be a lawyer. And then, you know, I started working on my first book, which was Managing Generation X. Now, that was back in the early 90s. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember telling people, Hey, I'm quitting my job at number two wall street and here's my idea. See, I'm going to write a book and people were like, Oh, Hey, that sounds promising. I mean, it's like what, but, uh, but then the book came out, you know, and, uh, it was just the right thing at the right time. And it hit a nerve, you know, uh, it was the nineties, um, and and the grownups were very worried about Generation X, and they thought, "Oh, wow, you know, what's going on with the, these new young people?" And and then some people were like, "Who cares what the young people think? Shut up, do as you're told, keep your head down, keep your mouth shut, wait for us to notice you, stop talking so much." So uh, in a way, that's what the first book was about. Uh, so and and then you know, my first book, Managing Generation X, came out, and. Man, it was just the right thing at the right time. It got a lot of attention. People started calling me and saying, "Could you come give a speech to our leadership team?" Wow. And I mean, I was a kid. I was like, "Well, are you sure?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, uh, but that was a long time ago now.
1: But uh, may I ask? At some point, you had a, a, an inkling to think I'm going to write a book, you know. And for me, I'd like to write a book at some point, but I've, you know, I've I've not got that strong enough pull or drive to do it for whatever reason maybe I've not found the right topic exactly you know at some point there'll be something on inspiration but how did that was it a a life experience or or was it something that just came to you may I ask you know how did, did you think you know eventually tell people I'm gonna write a book was there something before that that prompted it?
0: I mean, I came from a family of readers. I was always a reader. My wife uh is a bookworm, you know, and she was getting her PhD in American uh studies at Yale at the time. And um, and I was, you know, working as a lawyer and thinking, well, I guess I just gotta please the man, you know. And uh and and um uh uh but I I knew I didn't really wanna practice law. I was sort of figuring out what to do. And what I did was I started interviewing, uh, people I knew, uh, well, all the people I knew were young. And yes. then, uh, you know, this was back in the early nineties. So I went to JR music, which is up the street, up Broadway from, uh, uh, from wall street. And I got a, uh, I got a laptop, an early laptop, and I started taking notes, you know, and, uh, and 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 my wife said, gee, you know, uh, maybe w- what you're working on could be an article or something. And so then I was at the law firm one time and one of the big shot partners came in to talk to me. And for whatever reason, they put me on the 18th floor, Ian. I mean, that's where the big shots were. You know, and and so I always looked real busy, you know, uh, but but I was working on a book and uh, well, I didn't know it was a book yet. I was trying to keep I was trying to figure out what the heck to do. Yeah. And this one partner, you know, uh, I got to know pretty well. He was he was a big shot and he was on the executive committee. And he said to me one time, why are all the young lawyers around here slackers? Now, this was the early 90s. Yeah, right. You know, you're all disloyal. You have short attention spans. You don't want to work hard. You demand immediate gratification. You expect everything uh, to be your way right away. Uh, what's going on with you people? And I said, gee, you know, Mr. Gates, that was his name. Uh, he's still alive. He's a really wonderful guy. But I said, gee, Mr. Gates, you know, I don't know if slacker is the word you're looking for. You know, Bob went to Harvard. I went to NYU Law School. Um, Ray went to Columbia. Kim went to Georgetown. I mean, are you sure slacker is the word you're looking for? I mean, here we are all at the second oldest law firm in America. Um, uh, you know, you, you should, if only you knew what the young people were whispering about over lunch. Well, he, his eyes got so wide And he said, I'm going to take you out. You tell me what the young people are whispering about over lunch. And I thought, hmm, if one grown-up is interested, maybe lots of grown-ups would be interested. So then I said, okay, I'm going to start interviewing people. That's what I'll do. I'll write a big article called What Your Young Employees Are Whispering About Over Lunch. And at a certain point, that turned into Managing Generation X And then it got published as soon as it got published. I mean, it, 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 there was an AP wire story for, for your younger, uh, listeners back in the old days. Uh, the media was, was organized differently and the Associated Press was a very important source of stories. You know, there was no Twitter. (laughs) And, um, so the, the AP wire story appeared in like, 800 newspapers. Wow. And, and it was, it was like, it was like a hundred words, Ian. And, 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 but it, but it ran everywhere. And then people started calling me. So, you know, that's what happened. Uh, uh, and, and, and the, and the first call I got was from Jack Welch's office at GE. Right. Hey, we're calling from Mr. Welch's office at GE. Mr. Welch would like you to come speak to his leadership team. And I was like, wait, you mean Jack Welch? And they were like, yeah. And I, they said, what's your speaking fee? And I said, uh, could you hold on a second? <laughs> and I went in and, and I had a, a friend, who was my business partner, starting this little business to interview. All we were doing was interviewing people. And we were doing polls, you know, strategic uh, uh, surveys and for campaigns and for some organizations we were doing interviews, we were doing focus groups. Um, and he sort of thought, well, this book, I mean, whatever, you know, oh, yeah, you wrote a book, big deal, like everyone else, you know. And uh, so so I go in and I said, so get this, Jack Welch's office wants to know, what's my speaking fee? And my buddy uh, said, whatever you think is a lot, that's the answer. Just tell them whatever you think is a lot. So I said some number and they said, okay, Mr. Welch would like you to, come. I was like, well, plus expenses. And they said, okay. And I said, well, that's just for the first hour. And they said, okay. And I was like, ooh, wow. Uh, And I I mean, bear in mind, I was 28.
1: No, this is so powerful. Thank you. I mean, just to get the insight onto how that started and for people who are just wavering on whether they should do that, you know, Write that thing or pursue that interest, or it, 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 what you've just shared is super, super powerful. So thank you for that.
0: Yeah, I mean, part of it though, Ian, is it's a publishing story from the olden days. You know how things work now; it's a little bit different.
1: You yeah. Know? Well, it's it, potentially it's it. Well, in some ways it's easier, but in some but in some ways it's harder because there's you know maybe more people in, in that space as well. But yeah, it, it's yeah, still it's,
0: publishing has become hugely democratized right so when I was uh, uh, that age like if you self-published a book it was sort of looked down upon now uh self-publishing you know you can go you can publish a book on Amazon to market test it uh, just in digital form as an ebook uh, and sometimes some of the most successful books that's how you get the attention of a publisher
1: yes, looking that way no that's that's good to know. So then, that built, and you became an expert in this whole field of engaged management, and uh, you know, bringing different generations together. How did the the generational piece come in? Is that is that principally the Generation X with other generations, or is, is the is it more involved now uh, th- that piece?
0: Yeah, well, let me just be totally honest. You know, uh, I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. I mean, I was a young lawyer. Uh, uh, I, I was interviewing people after a hundred interviews. I thought, okay, that's probably good enough for a book. Um, the book got all this attention. So then I start thinking, well, gosh, what else will I do? You know, I start getting speaking invitations and I was like, I barely ever had a job, <laughs> you know, like, so, so then I started saying, well, I've never really had a job. That's my, that's my superpower. Right. And, and then what happened is, You know, I thought, well, okay, so I need to keep interviewing people because I don't know what the heck I'm talking about, right? I, I, all I know is what I'm learning from the interviews, right? And I'm smart enough. I'm a smart enough guy to know, like, you know, I don't really know that much. So, um, so my interviewees are the ones who have taught me over the years, you know, so what happened is I said, every company that hired me, I said, well, first I need to interview your people. You know, and, 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 and so then, you know, steel case, the office furniture manufacturer, the United States Army, <laughs> uh, well. the YMCA, Anheuser-Busch, all these big old-fashioned companies. Bear in mind, none of the uh, new companies, right? It, I wasn't getting phone calls from like the new, you know, remember in the late nineties was the first internet boom, you know, TRW you know, these old fashioned companies, uh, the CIA, right? Uh, uh, All these old organizations. And I started, what I would say to them is, well, I got to interview your people, you know, and then we realized, okay, that's the model. And so we started doing more and more chartered research, right? Companies would say, could you come in and interview our young people and tell us, what they think, right. You know, and uh, easy enough. Let me go talk to them. Sure. Here's what they think, you know, and, um, uh, they don't think they have that they're disloyal, right. They don't think they have short attention spans. They don't think that they demand immediate gratification. That's not where they're coming from. Here's what they think. Yes. Right. So, so, um, then I wrote another book and another book and another book. And what happened is, um, generation X started to get older. (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, so, so the first thing was, you know, I wrote a bunch of books about young people in the workplace. I wrote some very short books, one about recruiting, one called fast feedback. Um, and, and then I wrote a book called winning the talent wars. Cause remember in the late nineties, uh, we were having a terrible shortage of talent like now. Yes. So, uh, 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 then that book came out and 9/11 happened. Right. So, by the way, that book is coming out in a new edition uh, in 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 the autumn because now there's a talent war again. So, winning the talent wars was was really my first strong pull away from just being a young person talking about other young people. Yes. And then uh, and then what happened is, uh, you know, we had gathered so much research. I just was trying to report the research uh, in as many different ways as I could. So in 2004, uh, we did a white paper called The Undermanagement Epidemic. Yes. That turned into It's Okay to Be the Boss two or three, maybe three years later. Um, at some point, there were a bunch of other young people showing up. Uh, so uh, I wrote a book about the millennials um, and, 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 you know, over time, what happened is we put our research into three buckets. One, generational change, uh, human capital management and three, highly engaged leadership. And really everything I've ever done has come from, you know, what is now more than a half a million interviews, uh, from people from, uh, hundreds and hundreds of organizations.
1: Wow. And, You've out of all those interviews and different companies. Are there any inspiring stories you've come across that you're allowed to share from those?
0: I mean, there's, there's, there's a million great stories. Uh, some of them are stories of, you know, horrible managers. Some of them are stories of low performers who are hiding out and collecting a paycheck. Uh, some of them are of, you know, natural leaders who can light the fire in your belly but then they break hearts they don't provide guidance direction support and coaching there's all kinds of great stories i will tell you you know i'm a sucker for uh uh people in uniform so i often tell stories about the armed forces uh, our number one client uh since the army hired us uh back in 1995 our number one client uh for a long long time uh has been was the United States uh government right. uh, and various entities the military the intelligence community uh, I will say for what it's worth um uh I did not do any work for the government for uh for 4 years myself but uh but but uh for for a long time and and you know I'm available again so uh um but 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 you know I love looking at how the military teaches young people to follow how the, how the military teaches young people, uh, self-evaluation against an objective standard. Yes. Uh, how they teach young people personal responsibility, uh, attitude, how they teach young people work habits, people skills, uh, how they teach the value of foundational learning, uh, problem solving, uh, decision making, how they teach young people about the power of context. Uh, about service mindset, about uh, citizenship. Right, uh, in in, in it, how to be a citizen in one place is different from how to be a citizen in another place, um, and and about how to play your part on any team. So I love the way they teach people that. I love their onboarding approach. You know, their onboarding approach is twenty four hours a day, seven days a week for thirteen weeks. Say the Marine Corps. Right, they grab a hold of people; they never let them go. But the other thing I love is how they teach people how to lead. You know, they teach people to be supportive leaders, to be coaching-style leaders, to provide guidance and direction, uh, to to protect their people, to take care of their people. So, of course, you know, uh, most people their image of military leaders is barking orders and making people do pushups in the sand at four a.m. By the way, there is zero downside to pushups. So I just want to put that on the table. Like there's absolutely no, nothing bad about pushups. That's just my opinion. But, um, but you know, but, but the reality of military leadership is collegiality, strong teamwork, great service mindset and, and really supportive coaching. So that's an example I always use. Um, uh, in the private sector, I love looking at Enterprise Rent-A-Car because they're great at it. Uh, I love looking at Deloitte Consulting. Uh, always been uh, forward leaning. You know, uh, I've worked for uh, a lot of those firms: uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers and KPMG and uh, EY. I've worked for a lot of the smaller ones too. What what they used to call Group B. Uh, but man, Deloitte, uh, is Deloitte, uh, uh, especially the consulting side, they do a tremendous job onboarding enterprise. They do a tremendous job supporting people. Uh, I love any organization where they CDW, the, 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 the computer giant Bosch, Bosch is a great company. So, you know, I, I'm mindful that my, my friend Tom Peters, who's very famous, you know, uh, he wrote a book in 1982 called In Search of Excellence. He, he wrote a book. Uh, uh, and, and, and what that book was about was excellent companies. Well, his book in 1988, the first sentence was, there are no excellent companies. So I always think of that because I think every company has strong people and weak people, strengths and weaknesses. Um, and so I tend to look for inspiration in individuals um, but, but, uh, the military, you know, I'm a sucker for, for the military. No,
1: no, thank you for sharing that. And I'm hoping that we're going to actually get more corporates, um, and, you know, interview inspiring corporate entities themselves because of certain things that they've done. So, yeah, thank you for sharing well, I, that.
0: I, I, I could recommend some folks to you. Um, I mean, there are some amazing people, Sylvia Vocht, who was an executive at Bosch for many years, um, and then ran the Carnegie Bosch Institute at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. Uh, she is so cool. She's a Taekwondo master. Uh, she is an amazing leader, manager, supervisor, and she is a wizard when it comes to teaching executives uh, uh, how to put their focus in the right place. Man, you should interview Sylvia
1: Ball. Oh right, yeah. Thank you. I'll look it up. Yeah, thanks. Now on this intergenerational piece, or of- Cross sector piece. One of the things that I just melts my heart is inspiring events that somehow dissolve barriers between people and make everybody realize they're all on team human, I call it. Uh, is there any particular event that you can think of in your life that in any sphere that just dissolved barriers and brought people together?
0: Yeah. I mean, so uh, Ian, let me say three things about that. One, you know, what I do very often. Is go into an organization and explain the young people to the grown-ups and explain the grown-ups to the young people. Yes. So anytime I'm able to bridge a divide, you know, you think about diversity, right? And 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 you know, if you bring, you know, some people, the way they think about diversity is, well, you know, how do the young people want to be managed? Well, to your point, they're on team human. I cannot give you a cheat sheet for how the young people want to be managed. How about how does Mr. Blue want to be managed? How does Mr. Red want to be managed? How does Ms. Purple want to be managed? So there are broad trends in attitude and behavior that do evolve over time. You know, everyone starts out young and gets older, right? So, uh, I mean, God willing, right? Everyone uh, uh, goes through these natural developmental stages. But what generational difference is about the accidents of history that are happening when you're going through those developmental stages. So one of the things I like to explain to older people and younger people is that that's what's going on here. Young people are not a bunch of disloyal upstarts. Uh, the, 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 grown grownups are not, you know, trying to hold you back, you know, uh, shut up and do as you're told kid, you know, if I, nobody held my hand, you know, and, 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 and so what, what, when I, when I'm able to see the light bulb, you know, and, the, and the eyes widen and they go, Oh, you know, and, and then the younger, less experienced people get, More guidance, direction, support, coaching. Yes. The older, more experienced people have someone to explain TikTok to them or whatever, you know. Uh, uh, I love it when, um, you know, my view is that, uh, uh, diversity is really good for business and generational diversity is very much overlooked. And, uh, uh, so when people start to understand it's a legitimate diversity issue, You understand better where people are coming from, where they're going, uh, how to help them get there. Yes. Uh, how to interact with them in a way that works for them and works for you. You you know, that just, that, that, uh, that, that's really positive thing for me. Similarly, um, you know, just teaching somebody how to succeed more effectively in their environment, teaching somebody how to be a better manager. I mean, that stuff, uh, is what I thrive on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And is there a person in your life that's been your biggest inspiration and why?
0: Yeah, I mean my wife is my biggest inspiration. Uh my father uh and my mother I would say uh are 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 a close second. My wife is a super unusual person. Uh she is uh really carefree. And uh she's immensely successful and accomplished. Uh, but she, man, she takes no prisoners. You know, she asks the toughest questions. She gives the most interesting answers. Uh, she holds me to a high standard. Uh, she's loving and caring. She has, a, uh, she's always the life of the party. She's literally, man, the last person to leave any gathering. Always. I mean, we have to be, you know, asked to leave a lot of the time, like, Hey, we got to go to sleep, right? Um, Would you, you know, would you like an umbrella, you know, something go. Um, So, you know, um, and then, you know, my mother uh, uh, was just such a brilliant person. And, you know, um, had tremendous integrity. Um, My father is uh, a gifted doctor and uh, dean and professor of medicine. And so, you know uh he's saved more lives uh than anyone else i know uh, so unless you include you know like military leaders who have prevented a nuclear war or something
1: yeah wow no thanks thanks for sharing that and i
0: mean i could give you a lot of other examples from outside my personal life
1: yeah uh, yeah we yeah yeah anybody that you yeah thank you. i mean if there's anybody else you want to mention feel free yeah
0: yeah, so Sylvia Vogt, the one I was mentioning earlier. I mean, she is truly an inspiration. She is uh she's like a Zen master. You know, she is so even keeled, so brilliant and sensitive. And she's a great listener. That's what I love about her. She's a great listener. Um, she's super um, careful with people, you know, so some people are carefree. Sometimes that means they're not as careful with others. Um, uh, uh so, you know, I could give you example after example. Uh, Sergeant Major William Whaley is a guy I worked with in the United States Marine Corps back in the 90s. Uh, he taught me one of the most valuable things I've ever learned, which was a super easy tool for situational leadership. And it's just six questions. Who is this person at work? Why does this person need me right now? What is my message with this person or question? How should I try to communicate with this person? Where should I do it and when? Wow. And it's so good.
1: Yeah, I can see that. Thank you. Yeah, just to, to get the best out of it. Yeah,
0: and it's just, you know, it's just who, why, what, how, where, when.
1: Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And now it's time for Quick Fire Inspiration. Could you let us know one of your most inspiring films? Films. Well, I mean,
0: golly. Um, sure, Rocky.
1: Okay, yep. One of your most inspiring comedians? Wow, that's a tough one. I guess George Burns. Okay. One of your most inspiring aspects of nature? I mean, every day I listen to the
0: birds. I find birds amazing.
1: Yeah, I like the bird's song.
0: They can fly! <laughs> and they're a little tiny dinosaurs. And I love Cardinals especially.
1: Okay. One of your most inspiring songs? Songs. Well,
0: you know, anything by the Beatles, uh, let it be, I guess is one that I use for prayer. Um, all things must pass by George Harrison, which is a, a single. Um, it, it, George Harrison was a very prayerful fellow. So there are some other songs. Uh, you are the one is a lesser known George Harrison song that I use to pray sometimes uh, along those lines. Regina Specter, laughing with God is a song I love. But I don't mean to get all religious on you. I'm, you know, I'm groovy, man. You know. No, so, no, uh, they, no,
1: they're <laughs> nice. Yeah, because I, I enjoy looking them up, uh, and I put the, the link in the show notes so if people can. Oh,
0: and this bird can sing. Uh, to, to tie together the birds and the beetles. Right? Okay.
1: And this bird can sing. Brilliant. One of your most inspiring aspects of design or style. Designer style.
0: I'm not a stylish guy. I mean. I don't know a pretty flower uh i don't know you got me man so i got you know I, i love our homes but i think i would love any home i lived in
1: and um last one one of your most inspiring aspects of travel
0: of travel i mean uh i'm a homebody but i travel 150 days a year for 25 years uh so uh i always learn from travel you know i guess when i go someplace that's very very different from america it it is brought home to me how much of an american i am i mean man people can see me uh a hundred paces away and they're like oh let's go talk to that american i said how do you know i'm an american they're like it's obvious (laughs) you know so that always amuses me um but, you know, Americans are big on American exceptionalism. One of the things I love about um, our friends abroad. Uh, and and so I just uh, we lived in Ireland for a while. And I guess probably the most inspiring thing to me about that was because there wasn't a language barrier. Although I did one time ask a young lady for a ride and boy, did I get chewed out for that. Uh, okay. uh, she said, you mean a lift? And I said, OK, you know, but. Uh, <laughs> But sorry, it was back in the eighties. I didn't know. Uh, I hashtag me too to myself, but, um, but, but, but living in Ireland, you know, um, there was no language barrier, but what I came to realize, oh, but this is a very different place. And it helped me appreciate how much we see the world not as it is, but we see the world as we are.
1: Yes. That's brilliant. Thank you. Now, can you tell me what you think is most right in the world?
0: What is most right in the world? See, <laughs> today, that's, uh, that's a tough one. I mean, I guess, uh, love.
1: Yeah, thank you. And if someone's low on self-belief and they've forgotten how amazing they are, any tips you can, can give those listeners?
0: The next part of your story always starts right now. There's a, a lot of things you can't control. Uh, the thing you can control is you your thoughts. If you're not liking your thoughts, read, fill your brain with the thoughts of a brilliant writer. Uh, read The Last Lecture. Read Make Your Bed. Read Siddhartha. Read uh, Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Change your thoughts by reading the words of a great thinker. Uh, and, 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 and you can do push-ups. You know, uh, uh, take a walk do things that are in your control a lot of people think that how they feel they have to feel better before they take action here's a secret take action it'll change how you feel smile it'll change how you feel take a walk do push-ups do something uh and you can always control your words your actions your gestures your expressions and, and uh, you don't have to start. You only have one place to start, right here, right now. And, uh, and it's okay to fail. Uh, fail like crazy because if you have a 1% chance to succeed, you need to get busy and fail 99 times.
1: Well, yeah, that, that is super powerful. Thank you. And on books, what is the next book on your reading list?
0: On my reading list? Uh, I'm, um, you know, I've been rereading everything that Malcolm Gladwell wrote. So uh, uh, and and some of them I hadn't read, you know, but once I read the ones talking to strangers, outliers, um, uh, what the dog saw, a bunch of books that I hadn't read. Um, so now I went back and reread Blink. And I'm reading right now uh, 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 his first big book, The Tipping Point. Um, and I, I haven't decided what I'm going to read after that.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I've heard of Outliers. So, yeah. And, and, uh, but I've not read it. So, yeah. Thank you.
0: Outliers is great. That's the one that popularized the 10,000-hour rule. Okay. You know, that if, if you want to be an expert, you got to do something for 10,000 hours. Uh, that's, that's where that got popularized. He's really a popularizer. He doesn't do a lot of original research. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, once I finish this one, I, I get, uh, you know, then I'm, I've been on a Malcolm Gladwell kick, you know, so I got, I got, I got to pick a new writer. Once I get a voice in my head, I tend to read everything that you know?
1: Yeah. Well, that's uh, great, great advice. You know, and I, and thank you for inspiring me to read more the way you've, you, you explained it a moment ago. So uh, yeah, that is, is great. Well, I'm afraid you've, time's flown. We've come to the end. So, uh, yeah, I, I we should keep going because you've got such good energy. But, uh, but thank you for, for, for sharing everything.
0: And here's what I want to say. These are the most fun questions I've been asked in a long
1: time oh well thank you that's so kind thank you (laughs) i mean mean, this was the most fun interview i've done in a long time oh cool cool thank you and um if people want to get in touch how should they do that is it is it the rainmaker thinking website yeah
0: yeah rainmakerthinking.com you want to reach me bruce t at rainmakerthinking.com i type faster than i talk you send me an email i will definitely
1: respond thank you for sharing that right well thanks so much for today Hey, thank you. This is awesome. Wow, my chat with Bruce was literally life-changing. Here are Bruce's top ten hits of inspiration. One, get inspired by karate and Bruce's commitment to his practice of this for forty-eight years. Two, get inspired by writing that book. It might be just the right thing at the right time, like Bruce's was. And you can market test a book by publishing it as an ebook on Amazon. Three. Get inspired by interviewing the people you know on a topic you love. You never know where it might lead. Four, get inspired by setting up some strategic polls in your area of expertise to generate valuable insights on what people need. Five, get inspired by how people were calling Bruce up to ask him what his speaker's fee was. Wow. Six, get inspired by learning from the people you may interview. This may be enough to start with, even if you're not an expert. 7. We have entered another talent war. Get inspired by the creative ways in which you can harness this phenomenon. 8. Get inspired about learning about citizenship and how this varies from place to place and that you could get taught about this in the military. 9. Get inspired by being taught to be a supportive and coaching-style leader about service service mindset and teamwork. And this is all something you might be able to get with your current employer. 10. Get inspired by generational diversity and how this is good for business. Enjoy understanding where people are coming from, the accidents of history people may have experienced on their journey through life, where people are going, how to help them get there and how to interact with them in a way that works for you. 11. Get inspired by Bruce's friends' quick steps to situational leadership. Here we go. A. Who is this person at work? B. Why does this person need me right now? C. What is my message or question with this person? D. How should I try to communicate with this person? E. Where should I do it? And F. When? 12. Get inspired by songs you might be able to use in prayer. If you pray. 13. Get inspired by realising that we often see the world not as it is but how we are 14 the next part of your story always starts right now and if you don't like your thoughts read fill your brain with the thoughts of brilliant writers oh what a brilliant idea i'm gonna do that one bruce thank you 15 you don't have to wait to feel good to take action take action it will change how you feel and finally number 16 It's okay to fail. If you have a 1% chance to succeed, you need to get busy and fail 99 times. Thanks for joining me today. Watch out for news on our new group. Thank you everyone for listening today. Your kind attention is really appreciated and valued. If you feel some inspiration from today's episode, please share it. And please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you wish, leave us some comments. In your comments, please let us know any inspirational subjects you'd like us to cover. As I aim to build a bank of both inspiration and stories of events that inspired close connection between groups of people. If you have something to share in this space, send me an email at inspiringteamhuman at gmail.com. Thanks again. Look forward to seeing you next week for another boost of inspiration. Thanks to Ben Sound for the music.